This might be an appropriate moment to address the congregation here at the Pike. My wife and I were invited into your community here and virtually unknown to many of you probably when we came. And we want to thank you for the kindness that you've showed to us and the careful way in which you've cared for us since we're here. It's been a refreshing time for us. And uh, Brother Paul mentioned that we have a staff that we must carry with us wherever we go. And for some people that represents one thing, for others it represents something else. For my wife it gets kind of literal. And uh, we don't know what's going to be in front of any, any one of us, but she has had a very good week here with you. And so have we all. You've been very attentive in the services. The children have been a tremendous blessing in this church. And so we want to just give that word of blessing to you for what you've done for us while we we're here this week. Now, this is a communion service. And I don't know about you here because I don't know about your conference and I don't know how you function as a congregation. So I'm saying whatever I say here with total innocence and so I, you can forgive me for that. But I know of many people who face communion services with tremendous trepidation. They are scared every time a communion service is announced. Some congregations have what they call a council meeting or a preparatory service or some kind of testimony meeting it gives them a lot of fear to think about going through that. There has been, in some churches over the years, a lot of emphasis placed on worthiness. If anyone participates unworthily, woe be to them. If I would ask you to raise your hand this morning, I start here with Brother Nelson. And ask him to raise his hand and say, yes, Brother Dale, I am worthy to share in this service this morning. Count on me. I'm in. Uh, that, that dear brother is not going to raise his hand. He's not going to stand up. Nor will any of you, if you, if you walk with God and worship him. So now what are we going to do about this? I heard a story many years ago of a communion service and in that particular case the officiating brother was here towards the front and the communicants were coming down the aisle receiving the bread from his hand there and he, they, they took it from him and there was another lady who was coming down the aisle and when she got close to the preacher he held out this bread to her and she paused and held back and kept her hand down and put her head down and she could not quite do it. She just could not quite get that. She couldn't reach for it. She couldn't take it. And he noticed her hesitation, noticed she was struggling and said to her, sister, this is why Christ died. And she took her hand and took that bread. If we don't have that concept of what we do this morning, we're missing something. This is not only something historical that happened many years ago on a mountain outside Jerusalem, but something that's still happening. In one sense, it still happens. In one sense, I'm still needing it. And my crucifixion with Christ is not only something that happened who knows how many years ago. It's happening today. I wouldn't have to have that staff otherwise. And so every one of us is uh, an imperfect model of the workmanship of God. And though he is working on us, he has more yet he'd like to do.
Maybe he used this week of services to help some of us find our way a little better, understand things more clearly. But certainly he can use this service for that. So I just want to share that with you as we start. You can open your Bible to Matthew. I'm going to just read several passages here. Matthew 26, we'll start there. Read verses 26 through 29, perhaps, here. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink there henceforth of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Would you go to Mark chapter 14? This would be Mark's account of the same passage. This begins in verse 22. And as they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said unto them, This is the blood of, my, of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 11 And here we read at verse 23. For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the due testament in my blood, this do ye, as oft as ye drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. I think it's already been clearly explained to us what Jesus meant when he said that. You're not only announcing an historic fact, but there is a testimony coming from the lives of each of us that this death is being affected and is effectual in our lives even as we share this service today. And now in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. So we're here today to celebrate the Lord's Supper, this uh, service, this uh, meaningful participation has many different names. It's called by many different names by different kinds of people. The Bible does not tell us how to do it. In one sense, there's not a real clear indication of how often we do it. It would seem like reading the scripture should be done with frequency, maybe more often than what we normally would tend to do it in our churches, and I don't know how all you do it here. 
Many names for this supper, for this meal, for this participation we're going to have this morning. Sometimes we call it the communion service. Sometimes it's called the breaking of bread. The Lutheran Lutheran people called it over the years the altar sacrament. Our Anabaptist forefathers way back in the 1500s called the Nakmal, the evening meal. Our Catholic friends call it the Mass. Sometimes it is called the Agape. But there's another name that we hardly ever hear in, among our kind of people and in our church settings. But there's a Greek word for this ceremony, for this offering this morning, for this meal, the Eucharist. Three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, speak of Jesus inaugurating this time of service. John does not mention it at all, although John, in his Gospel, explains the significance of the Eucharist more than anybody else does. The others speak about it being inaugurated there in an upper room, the very evening that Christ was then later betrayed. It's interesting that in this four text I read, you may not have noticed it, but the order of the bread and the wine was not the same in each of those four texts. The last verse as I read, the, the cup came before the bread and all the other examples, the bread was first. I don't know if you noticed that or not. I don't know if that's real significant, except that there is an important factor there. Jesus took this bread, he took that cup, and he blessed both of them. Gave thanks to God for both of them. Something very unique happened in that time. My Bible's still open here to Corinthians, so I'm going to read verse 24 of chapter 11 again. And when he had given thanks, he had broken it and said, Take ye for this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Paul says that he gave thanks for the bread. Luke says that he blessed them both. Apparently, Judas, the disciple, was present when this happened. Luke mentions that point, Matthew also. And we know that if he was present in that service, very probably he partook of that meal unworthily. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about this word Eucharist. It's a word we don't use very often. It's a Greek word. It's interesting that our language is Spanish. The Spanish pronunciation or spelling of Eucharistia is the same in Greek as it is in Spanish. There's no attempt made to change the spelling from uh, Greek to our language. It's pronounced, it's spelled the same way. It's a Greek word. It's a Bible word. It's in quite a few of the texts that I read to you this morning, although in English it does not translate that way. It's a compound word in Greek. The EU at the beginning of Eucharist is a prefix which means good or well or well done or exceptional. We have a sister in our congregation whose name is Eugenia. So that's a compound word, EU, and then the, 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 uh, 
the henny at the end is your word for genes, means she is well-bred, she has good genes, she has excellent genes, so she is eugenia. That's what that word means, Eucharist. The you part there means something very well, exceptional, well done, well, it, it highly favored. And then the charis that follows that is the word that you're well acquainted of, and, and Brother Paul was just speaking to us about charis, the grace of God. And so you have this blessing of God, you have this gift of God, you have this grace of God, you have this teacher of God. And I'm glad that Brother Paul had a chance to go to school when he was young. But I've observed in his later life that he has been sitting at the feet of a better teacher. And, and none of us are what we need to be and ought to be if we're not sitting at the feet of the grace of God and learning there. And so we have this grace of God. We have this gift of God. We have this unique blessing of God. We have something that God is doing to us. And we can't divorce what we do here this morning with this bread and wine from this teaching of Eucharist. That excellent grace, that well-favored grace, that unique gift, that unique contribution, that God participation in my life and heart. And there's no one here that doesn't need that. And maybe it was not easy for you to come to the service this morning, and maybe the others that would like to be here that are not. But something will happen to us for having been here that will not take place if we're not. And we want to come to be able to appreciate that. The goodness and grace of God, the blessing of God upon us. More specifically, this word Eucharist means gratitude. It means giving of thanks. And there's a sense in which there's a very close relationship between thanksgiving and blessing. And I'll give you some natural illustrations you will well understand. Sometimes when you're sitting at a meal before the food is passed, someone at the head of the table would say, so-and-so will, will, will ask a blessing on the meal. And somebody else may have said at that same hour at a different location, so-and-so will give thanks for this food. And so asking a blessing upon it or giving thanks for it is really a very similar thing. And Jesus did that. But, 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 but I'm showing you here a picture of Christ taking bread in his hand or a cup in his hand and giving thanks for that, which is a blessing upon it. But that prayer was prayed to God. And when, when you're sitting at the table, and you might do that later on today, downstairs here in this fellowship meal, and someone gives that special prayer of grace and blessing and thanks to God, God hears that prayer. Either God is sound asleep and does not hear it and does not know what to do with it and is handicapped to respond to it, or else God's going to do something with that prayer. And what do you expect God's going to do when you ask him to bless your food? Now, this is not a health class. But as far as I understand it, one of the keys to Christian, to Christian being healthy is what we ask God to do to the food we eat. And some of us have been in places where the food may not have been very good. I have been so thirsty walking through jungles that I find a river someplace or a stream, and I run right down there and put my... Get, go out on the rocks and put my face down in there and drink it right out of there because I cannot go any farther without more water. 
And I don't bother to test it. I don't know how many microbes are in there, and I don't put any chlorine in it, nor any apicidal vinegar, nor any lemon juice. We just drink what comes out of there. But would the Lord please bless this? We need the water. And the Lord blesses our food. And when God turns around and answers our prayer, and answers the prayer of Jesus, and puts his divine blessing on these elements that we're sharing with this morning, that's why it's called the Eucharist. It's not only because we gave thanks for it. It's not only because we held that cup up and said, Brother Stone, so would you need some prayer before we share this cup together, or these little cups they got down here these, these days, or the bread we have here. But it's because what God does from the other end. And that's why it says in this reading that I gave you this morning, the cup of blessing which we bless. It's a cup of blessing. Or little cups of blessing. And though we're not all drinking out of the same one, it's all from the same source. We're, we're going to understand that this morning. It's not Christ's literal blood. His body is not here. You remember when Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli had that theological argument. They were standing beside each other at a wooden table, and Martin Luther had a piece of white chocolate in his hand. And uh, they were not satisfied with each other's view of the Lord's Supper and its significance and its uh, the, the theological ramifications. And so uh, Martin Luther took that chalk, drew it around the little drawing that he had there, and he said, Jesus said, this is my body. Well, that's what Jesus wanted us to think about when we shared, when we took that bread and ate it. He wants us to think about that. He wants us to know that we have a part with him. We're participating with him. We live by him. We live by his words, by his life. We cannot do it without it. We heard that this week already. Without me, you can do nothing. He wanted us to be very keenly aware of that. And, and this participation this morning, in one sense, is that renewal of that dependency. I can't do this without Christ. I need his body. Not only that, he makes our boat with us. These things we heard this week. He makes our boat with us. And, and, and as you take that bread and, and the cup this morning, just think about that. What difference should this make to me when I realize taking this into my body today with this heavenly blessing upon it, that I represent Christ, that I have him with me, that he is, a, he is alive within me, his grace is teaching me, I am under his authority. He is guiding my life. What difference should that make? I, I am the dwelling place of Christ. My words should reflect that he lives here. My attitudes in the congregation and in my family speak of this unique relationship, this mystical relationship that I have with the Lord Jesus. So that's what the word Eucharist means. And the, the word is especially clearly defined for us in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians there in verse 16. I've already quoted that verse to you since I've read it. The cup of blessing which we bless. It is, a, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? And so there, there is communion here. Now you remember back earlier in the week, we took that word common. The evening we spoke about communication. 
And we talked to you about the various words we have that come from that common bond that we have in Christ. So we have the word community, we have the word communication, we have the word communion. Communion, there's something that we have in common here. And of course, koinonia, communion, fellowship, as Brother Paul spoke about it this morning from 1 John 1, 7. That common relationship we have with Christ and common relationship we have with each other. And we are re reuniting and we are reconfirming that common bond in the service that we have together this morning. It's interesting to note that historically, the Catholic friends that we have in our community, the members of the congregation do not drink of the cup. They have the wafer put on their mouth, on their tongue, but they don't participate in the cup. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. And way back, many, many years ago, the 22nd of July, 1419, I was born on the 22nd of July, but I wasn't born yet at that time. I know I look ancient, but it's not quite that bad. But that was in 1419. There were 40,000 members of the Bohemian Church met together in an outdoor place, and someone had a callus there, that's a, that's a glass, a vase, the cup with the fruit of the vine in there. And several of them had placards, had uh, letreros there, posters with a picture of this cup on it. And they were going to do something there in that service that they had never done. Everyone there was going to participate with a cup, and they had never done that before. And it was withheld from them. And now as Bohemian brethren, they're going to share in this experience together, and they drank that cup together. That cup of blessing which we bless is not the communion of the, of the blood of Christ. And so for, for the first time, they received that part of the blessing of the, of the Eucharist, of the uniquely blessed grace of God, the uniquely present grace of God, the Eucharist. The blessed, the well-favored participation, the very life and grace of God into our hearts and lives. Now, you say to me, as many Mennonite people, you say, uh, Brother Dale, be careful, this is a symbol only. We're just doing symbols here this morning. We have some bread here. We have a little grape juice and a cup. This is simply symbolic. Uh, no, no, uh, don't go there. It doesn't really make a difference in my life. It, it's a, yeah, yeah, it's something we do. It's a commandment. We do it. But I'm sorry. Just wait a minute. You wouldn't say that. You wouldn't say that if you looked at it in reverse. I understand, and I wasn't here, I understand that the majority of you filled out a little card before you 
step up to the plate here this morning. And that was called a council, what was the last one? Council card. A council card. And there were about five questions on there, maybe six. There are five or six questions on there, and I found one of those cards and I read it. And you, had, you answered some questions on there. And you all know why you did that. Because you have a very strong consciousness in your congregation that a man should examine himself before he participates in this service. And so someone is making an attempt to help you just analyze a few key points in your life to see just how this is working out for you currently, up to date, maintaining this testimony alive and fresh. And you want to be sure that you're ready to participate in this service this morning. Because there's a serious warning given in 1 Corinthians 11 about eating and drinking, sharing this service unworthily. Do you feel, do you think, with your understanding of this service this morning, that participating here could do somebody damage, but could do nobody any good? Do you feel that if we did this unworthily, it would be a terrible thing for us? But do you also feel that sharing it in this godly way would do us a lot of good? I'm not able to divorce that one from the other. If, if it's wrong to do it improperly, isn't there tremendous blessing in doing it well? I'm going to tell you something happened in Costa Rica. In, in one of the last communion services we had in the little congregation at Vital. And so what we, we do a little different what you do it here. We, we don't ask a lot of questions. Are you, do you have peace with God? Are you, do you want to take communion? We, we don't necessarily have that formula in Costa Rica. What we do is this. We just allow our brother and sister to share what's on their heart. If you have something you'd like to say, a word of blessing, maybe you feel like you'd like to ask for some help about something in your life. Maybe you want to acknowledge a need that you feel that you, uh, you would like to bring out to the light here and help us understand in your, in your experience. You're welcome to do that. And one brother spoke. He said something like this. Brothers and sisters, I am not worthy, but I don't want to eat or drink unworthily. I am unworthy. He said it in Spanish, of course. But I don't want to participate unworthily. Could anybody here reconcile that very strange statement? Might there be someone else like that in this audience? I am not worthy. Why, yes, brother, you're right. There's only one that's worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive honor and glory, wisdom, and power, and might. Only one is worthy. The rest of us are unworthy. Our worthiness is found in him. But worthiness is not so much an attainment. Worthiness is not so much an achievement. Worthiness is not so much a time and a place event. Now it has happened. Now all of a sudden, Dale is worthy. Worthy is a walk with God. Worthy is a direction of travel. Worthy is the way my face is set. Worthy 
You know, there's a lot of places in the scripture where it almost seems like the attitude is maybe more important than the act. And the spirit of the thing may be more important than what is actually done. And being worthy is not something that I've all of a sudden grown enough of size and have lived enough of years to reach that place. Paul never got there in this life. But there's a direction. There's a goal in front. That goal is Christ, and we're walking towards him. The grace of God is at work, and he stays there and keeps teaching us and helping us, and we have, we're not finished with those lessons. And I would trust that next week, somebody in this congregation will stop will pause, will say to himself, I can't do it. When two weeks ago, we never thought about tripping right over that, going right into it, without even a thought. The difference between then and now is this. I've been under the instruction of the grace of God. I have received that Eucharist into my life, into my body. I made covenants with God I see things today I didn't see before. I, I feel like that would grieve the spirit if I did it today. And in the past, I never thought about that. And that should certainly be the experience of all of us. That should certainly be the way we're walking as Christians. And this service this morning is not to condemn anybody. There's only one person that's unworthy here this morning. In the truest sense of the word, and that is not the one that has faults in his life. That's not the one that made a mistake this morning. That's not the one who, it did not turn out for him the way he wished it would have in this past week's experience. That's not the one that's unworthy. It's probably the one that doesn't feel a need for that grace of God to work in my life. Doesn't feel a need to draw closer. Doesn't feel a need to close the door and seek the Father's face in secret. Feels no need to examine his heart before God and say, I'm sorry, Lord. It didn't turn out very well. Thank you for your love and your patience to me. Thank you for caring about me and understanding me, even though it didn't turn out very well. And of course there's perfection. Of course there's growth. Of course there's a, a advancement in the Christian life. Of course we go on to perfection. To completion. Of course, the little green, knobby fruits that are growing on the vine turn color, become purple, fill up with the nutritious, sweetest of juices. Of course, there's growth. Of course, the little birdie in the nest with no feathers on his body and completely unable to sing any kind of song. Of course, he grows. Of course, three months from now. He looks quite different from what he did a while ago. And all of us are in that process. But that little birdie, that little green knob at the end of the cluster, God looks at it and says, it's fine. It's perfect. This happened at the Blue Rock School. Brother Melvin was there. Brother Paul was there. Susie was there. Rodney and Judith were there. So they had a teacher there that liked to do some artwork sometimes, and he had some colored chalks, and he would put a, draw a bird on the blackboard, and then these children were supposed to draw that bird on their paper. So this uh, picture was just about finished up here in various colors of chalk, 
And back there, these students were supposed to be, you know. I looked back across the students and I saw a boy was back there in sixth grade. He was crying. And I, I walked back to his desk. He said, Brother Dale, mine doesn't look like a bird. Mine doesn't look like a bird. And he had taken his eraser and tried to erase some of the wrong lines he put on there. And he erased so bad he had made a hole in his paper. And so things didn't look very good there on his desk. I said, Bobby, pick up your pencil. And Bobby picked up his pencil. And I put my hand over his hand. And after a while, something happened on his page. And the tears stopped. A little smile formed on Bobby's face. And, and now it looks like a bird. And, and there's a bird on my paper. And Bobby's hand was on the pe pencil drawing that bird. And then he took his colors and colored it. I want you to know and this morning I want God to know, I'm Bobby. My paper doesn't look pretty good. But I heard this morning that there's a hand upon us. May God bless you.